right, so go ahead and take a seat. Hey, I'm going to pray as we uh, begin and um, just ask God to speak to our hearts. So, Father, I ask as we begin um, our time looking at your word to us that you would speak to our hearts. Um, God, I know that we all come in here just different places uh, tonight, and um, even as it pertains specifically to our topic tonight, God, I ask that you would open our hearts and speak to us and direct us and let us see your character and help us uh, to have clear minds and clear hearts and remove any obstacles to what you want um, us to see tonight. And so I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, We are in a series talking about creating community and what it looks like to build uh, friendships and to build better friendships. And one of the topics that you have to talk about if you talk about community and you talk about relationships and you talk about friendships, one of the topics you have to talk about is conflict because we all have conflict. If you've got relationships, you have conflict. The two just sadly go together. And um, none of us like conflict. I know sometimes people say things like, I'm really scared of conflict, or I really don't like conflict, but I've never talked to anybody that has said, I love conflict. It's just, that's what gets me going, man. And if you have talked to somebody like that, you should probably go, okay, well, have fun with that. See you later. But nobody likes conflict, and yet we all have to deal with it, right? I was talking to somebody this week that was saying that they were experiencing some conflict and just emotionally draining for a couple days, just feeling absolutely drained because of the conflict that they found themselves in. And and you have felt that if you've been in conflict. It's not just the actual thing because it doesn't leave there. Then you go home and you start thinking, oh man, what are they thinking? And what am I thinking? And what are they going to say if I say this? And what should I say if they say this? And what did they think I meant? And what did they mean? And what did they think I meant when I thought what they thought they meant? And what they said? And did we even have that conversation? Or was I just thinking about that in my head? I won in my head, but are we going to, you know, I mean, just all those things. And it just exhausts you, not just in the actual moment, but in the, in the bedroom and in the shower and in the drive to work. I mean, just all the time, right? And it's just exhausting. And yet we all have conflict. We don't like it, but we all have it and we all have to deal with it. Relationships just have conflict in them, big and small. And anytime you have people in your life, you're going to have people that hurt you, people that lie about you or gossip about you or betray you or reject you or say things about you that are not true or say things about you that are true or take something that you've confided in them and then reveal that to other people, that relationships are just marked by conflict. And sometimes what happens is this, we know that that's true and we hope then that the church would be an oasis from that. We hope that the church would be a place where that doesn't happen, that yes, conflict is draining, and yes, conflict emotionally exhausts us, but hopefully the church ah, could be this place where finally this community of love, this community of people that love Jesus and worship him, we can have some peace and quiet from all of the conflict that's out there, but that's not true, right? That's not what happens. And sometimes then what happens is we become disillusioned with the church or God's people because we go, what's going on? This is just like out here. I I thought this was a place and a community of love, but instead it's a place where I'm experiencing maybe even more conflict, maybe even more hurt. And I think that's actually something we should expect. I think the church is actually going to be a place where there's often more and deeper conflict than outside. 
because of a couple reasons. One is that the church comes around the fact that we're all people that are messed up and sinful. That's what unites us. I mean, what happens if you get a group of people together and say, you know what's our unifying factor? We all know that we are guilty of killing God. Well, you're going to have some conflict. That's not necessarily a group of people that is bonded by their strength or their affinity or their ability. The only thing bonding them is that they think that they are so messed up that they need salvation. And so, of course, you would have conflict with a group of people like that. And not just that, though, oftentimes, and we talked about this last week, see, many relationships, what are they built on? If you think about some of the relationships in your life, maybe even some of the relationships that you love the most, a lot of relationships are built on fun. Certain activities and certain clubs and certain interests, and man, we love to do this together, but what that does is it often isn't very deep. And all of us talk about, man, depth, and you want depth in relationship, but but depth also then leads to this more serious you get, the more that the junk starts to come out. That's why if for those of you that are married or if you've had serious dating relationships, those are usually the people that hurt you the most and that you hurt the most. Man, your barista, you haven't gotten in a serious conflict with your barista. You might love, man, they just give you coffee. And you're, I mean, maybe you have, and that, you know, that's a different issue. Uh, you might be the person that loves conflict and gets into a fight with your barista. So, I mean, that's fine. But, but most of the time, the deeper the relationship goes, the more opportunity there is for conflict. And so in the church, where we're supposed to be a community of transformation, we're supposed to be a community that actually brings our stuff to the table and says, hey, let's talk about it. Of course, there's going to be more conflict. So we're talking about conflict tonight. You know, we're talking about creating a community. We're talking about the journey towards better friendship. But what happens when friendships fail? And what happens when community is hard? And what happens when community fails us? And here's what's different about the church. Here's what's supposed to be different about the church. Here's what's different about Christianity. Here's what's different about what Jesus presents to us. Here's what's different. It's not the absence of conflict. What's different about the church and what's different about the Christian community of what it's supposed to be defined by when it comes to conflict is not the absence of conflict, but it's a different way, a better way to deal with it. What's different about the church isn't the absence of conflict. This will never be a place, and your community group and your Christian friendships will never be a place that are absent of conflict. What's supposed to be different is not an absence of conflict, but a better way to deal with it. A better way to deal with it that actually then leads to the strengthening of those relationships. That's what's supposed to be different. Not just, hey, this is a place where I'm free and it's an oasis from conflict, but there's a better way to deal with it. I mean, think about this. What if the conflicts that we have could actually serve to strengthen our relationships, to grow our relationships? That's what the Bible presents to us, that if we want a better way if we want better friendships, if we want better community, it's not ever going to be a place that is absent of conflict, but one in which conflict is dealt with in a way that actually adds to and strengthens the community. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And if we want to have a better way to deal with conflict, we have to, we have to know a couple things. We have to know what it is that causes conflict, and then we have to know how do we actually handle it in a better way that leads to strengthening friendships, strengthening and bettering 
the community. And a lot of what I'm going to talk about tonight is some things that I've learned from a, a ministry called Peacemakers, and I've copied or adapted some of that content, and I'll post some of that on our uh, Facebook group this week because it's very helpful. But let's begin with this question. What causes conflict? What is it that causes the conflicts that we have? Think of the last conflict that you had. Maybe that's easy for you. Maybe it was this morning. Think of the last conflict that you had. Maybe it's an ongoing conflict that you are still in with a coworker or a family member or a spouse or a friend. Think of the last conflict you had. What causes the conflict that we have? What is it that causes it? And here's what the book of James says. James writes to the church. He says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? I mean, that's a very important question. What causes all this stuff? What causes the different conflicts that we have? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So here's what James says. What causes conflict? And he gives us a progression. And we'll look at this progression. But you know what he starts with? Desire. He says, you know what? You know where conflict begins with? You know what causes the fights and the quarrels that are among you? You have desires for things. There's something that you want. And we all have desires for things, right? And when you think about your conflicts, and you think about, try to have something in your mind now. Most of us probably have something fresh or something recent or something that we're in the middle of. You think about what is causing this conflict? And James says, is it not this? Aren't there desires in you that you have that you aren't getting? And a lot of these desires, most of these desires aren't bad, right? I mean, there are some bad desires. Maybe you have a desire for vengeance or you have a desire to hurt somebody or you have a desire for something that shouldn't be yours. But, but most of our desires are good desires. They're things that are good that we want. It's good to have respect from people. It's good to be loved by other people. It's good to have your home be a place that is uh, a place of comfort. It's good to have uh, people in your life that are friends. It's good to have people that understand you. And, and a lot of times, those are the kind of desires that lead to conflict. They're not bad desires at all. They're good things. But James says, what causes conflict? What causes conflict inside of you? Is it not this? That there's things that you desire. Things that you desire. But then what happens, these desires turn into demands. You see, what begins with the desire, I want this, slowly or quickly moves itself into a demand. And so what begins is there's something I want, moves into there's something I've got to have. There's something I need. It's no longer just something I want. It's no longer just a desire. It's I need this. I have to have this. Even I deserve this. And a lot of times we even use this language and even put biblical language on it to justify it. We may, we may say something like, I need you to love me. 
I need you to serve me. The Bible says you're supposed to do this. I, I need you to understand me. I deserve a little compassion. I deserve a little sympathy. I need you to, to, to see things from my point of view. And what starts as a desire moves itself into a demand. It moves itself into, I have to have this. It's not just something I want anymore. It's something I demand because it's something that I need that, that I can't really be fulfilled without. I don't, just, I don't just desire that my house is a place of comfort. It's, man, I've been working hard all day long and I need some peace and quiet. Ever said that? What starts as a desire moves its way into a demand. Often we even justify it, like I said, with biblical language. And then what happens is this. If that desire is unmet, we start to ruminate on it. We start to think about it. We start to let it keep going. So there's something that we want, but it becomes a demand. And the more that we don't have it, the more we actually start to think about how much we want it and how much we need it and how much we deserve it and how the other person isn't giving it to us. See, James used the language and he says, is it not your desires? But then he says, you adulterous people. Now, where's that coming from? That seems kind of out of the blue. First, he's just saying, hey, you want something, you don't have it, so you fight. But then he says, you're an adulterous people. What's he saying there? He's saying, you have set your heart on something so much that you love it. It's a demand. It's no longer just a want. It's something that you have actually had adult, spiritual adultery in your heart. You love this thing. The Bible uses the language of adultery or idolatry where something takes the place of God for us. We no longer just want something. We worship it. We love it such that the Bible uses intimate language to say you are adulterous. You love this thing. And so you have to have it. It starts as a desire it moves to a demand, and then it moves to where we begin to judge other people. See, if you desire something, think about your conflict. Think about whatever you're in the middle of or what you have been in the middle of, and where, where does conflict come from? What causes this? There's something that we desire that begins to become a demand. I need this. I deserve this. I have to have this. And then we begin to judge the other person. We begin to criticize them for not giving to us what we have now demanded. We begin to, even in our mind, condemn them. We begin to see the worst in them. We begin to see very clearly all of the things that they aren't doing right. We begin to see all the faults that they have. We begin to see very specifically, here's where you're failing. Here's where you're not meeting my needs. Here's where you're not coming through. Here's where you're not meeting your end of the bargain. And we begin to judge them either outward or just in our minds is where it usually starts, to criticize them in our minds, maybe even have conversations with them in our minds where we're giving it to them. And we all, aren't we always better in our minds than in person? You know, in person, all of a sudden, we're like, uh, 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 crap, you know? But in our minds, man, we're the best arguers. We boom, 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 you know? And that's what happens. We judge them. We criticize them. We condemn them. And here's the sad thing. The closer someone is to you, a spouse, children, a best friend, your church, the closer someone is to you, the more that you expect of them, right? I mean, you don't expect your barista to, to love you and serve you. I mean, you kind of do. 
but not really. You don't expect your name to have a, you know, an, an heart on it. You, but those that are closest to you, you expect more of. You desire more from. So you demand more from. And then when they're not meeting it, it hurts even more. And you judge even more. The closer you are, this is again why I think there's actually more conflict in the church. Because we actually expect more from each other. The closer someone is to you, the more that you expect of them. And then the more that that's not met, the more that you judge them and criticize them. And complain against them and condemn them. So it begins as a desire, moves into a demand, moves into judging, and then moves into the actual conflict. This is how the progression moves itself. There's something that we want, usually a good thing. You want peace, you want comfort, you want friendship, you want love. That then moves into a demand, that then moves into judging, and then moves into the conflict. And we all handle conflict differently. Some of us handle conflict with a very kind of attack response. You like to win, you want to have the conversation, you want to get it all out. You may want to make the other person pay. You may want to hurt them. You use words or maybe even actions to say, I'm, we're going we're gonna to have this conflict and I'm going to win. And some of you, that's, that's kind of your posture. When, when it gets to this point and you've desired something and demanded something and judged something, you're ready to fight. Let's go. Let's do it. You say hurtful words and you try to beat the person down and win. But sometimes the way that conflict is handled is actually not that. It's more of an appeasing. This is still conflict, but the way that you deal with it is actually different. It may take the form of an appeasing that's kind of a self-pity. I am sorry, you know, I, obviously I can't do what you want me to do. I can never kind of meet your expectations. I guess I can never give you the peace and the love that you want or whatever. You know, it, it's an attack but it's kind of done in an appeasing way. Kind of takes on a form of self-pity or manipulation or may take on a form that says, okay, fine, I'll give you whatever you want. You actually give in to things in the conflict that maybe you shouldn't give in to. I'll do, you, you, you so want in the middle of this conflict to be okay that you just kind of appease, appease, appease. Or some of us, and I think this is very common, especially in Christian circles, what we try to do is not attack or appease. It's just more an ignoring of the conflict altogether. So some of you, even as when I say, hey, think of a conflict you're in, you might go, oh, I'm not in any conflicts. I just ignore all those. But you're still in the middle of conflict. You desire something, you demand it, you judge. The way that conflict is happening, though, with you is more internalized. And so there's bitterness and there's all sorts of things in your mind about the other person. And if, and if we were able to put your brain on the screen, the conflict would be an explosive R-rated movie, right? In 3D. You're like, oh, but I haven't had any conflicts. Yeah, but they're all internalized. Sometimes the way that we handle the conflict is actually just to ignore it. Go, I'm not going to deal with that at all. And, and maybe the way that happens is that we run away from it. Sometimes, though, the way it happens is more of a kind of cold shoulder. There's some sort of conflict that's happened where you wanted something and demanded it and judged, and now you're in the middle of conflict, but you just go, you know what, I'm just going to leave. And maybe if you think of a conflict and some of your parents probably fought like this, one person just leaves the room. That's the way to deal with it. Just, I'm out. 
And maybe that's how you do conflict, whether maritally or with friends. Just go, you know what? There's a conflict. I'm just out. Maybe you've had a friend and you've had a conflict with. There was something you desired and demanded and judged them, and they don't even know you're in conflict with them. You just went, see ya. And then they started wondering, what happened? Maybe you've been in a car ride and someone you know, said something. Usually it's with a spouse, and they say something to you. And then you're just like, silent. And like 30 minutes go by and an hour goes by. And it's just cold shoulder. You just withdraw. I'm not in a conflict. They're in a conflict. I'm fine. No, you're ignoring it. <laughs> Knowing laughter. See, I told you that was the most common one. Everyone's like, <laughs> yes. yes. They'd always do that. I knew it. Thank you for telling them. Okay. <laughs> This is, this, is, this is what causes conflict. We desire something, we demand something, we judge, and then we're in the middle of conflict. What is the conflict response that's normal for you? Is it to attack? Is it to just appease the other person? Maybe kind of manipulate them? Is it to just withdraw and ignore? Maybe you do one Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then rotate. This is how conflict happens. What causes it? This is what causes it. James says it starts with you desire something. And then you demand it, and it leads to us judging the other person, and then leads to conflict, which then results in what? I mean, it leads to bitterness in our hearts. It leads to broken relationships. I mean, man, haven't you had people in your life, and maybe not, but you've, you've had people in your, I, man, I know people, I have family that haven't talked to each other in a long time, and it started with this friendships. It leads to bitterness. It leads to broken relationships. And you know what else it leads to? It leads to just a lack of depth of relationship. Because what happens is, if, if, if this is what creates conflict, and you've actually wound up here, you go, man, that's painful. I don't even want to engage in depth of relationship with people anymore. And relationships can never actually get to where they could get to, because this is what happens. This is how we deal with conflict. So it leads to bitterness, and it leads to brokenness, and it leads to a lack of depth. But there's a better way. The Christian community is not defined by an absence of conflict. There will be conflict, maybe even more, because they're people that are closer to you. But it's defined by handling it in a different way, in a better way, one that actually doesn't lead to a shallowness in relationships or broken relationships, but better relationships, better friendships. There's a better way to handle conflict that actually can strengthen relationships. So how can we handle conflict better? How can we handle it better? If that's not the way to handle it, what do we do when we've got these desires and, and maybe they've turned into demands and judging or maybe we're actually in the middle of conflict? What, wherever on the progression we find ourselves, what, what's a better way to handle conflict? Maybe this is something you need right now. Maybe it's something you need today. Maybe it's something that you'll need coming up and you don't even know you need it. What's a better way to handle conflict? And I want to walk us through four kind of relational movements, starting with this. When we think about handling conflict, the first relationship to begin with is God. You see, that's not usually how we start. Usually in the middle of conflict, 
here's where we start. We start with either ourselves or the other person. We may start with ourselves and thinking, maybe, man, I've done this and I've done that. Or we may start with ourselves thinking um, of all the, the reason, all the ways we've been heard and all the ways that and we kind of are thinking of ourselves in the middle of conflict. Or maybe thinking of them and all the things that they have done and all the things that they haven't done and all the things they were supposed to do. And we usually start in one of those places, but when we think about the better way to handle conflict, you know where it begins? It begins with God. It begins with talking with God. Here's how James says this in the next verse. After the conflict, he says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So look, don't you know what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't you know what it is? It's your desires and your passions and you adulterous people. Okay, so then what do we do, Pastor James? He says this, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Here's what James says. You start with God. When you find yourself with desires that you want that are unmet and you have demand, they've turned now into demands, things that you love and have to have and you feel, I need these, I deserve these, I'm not getting these. James says, look, let's, let's just stop for a second. Don't think about you. Don't think about them. Here's what I want you to do. Submit yourself to God. Now, here's what I know. As a Christian, all of us would go, yes, of course. But, but think about the last conflict you had. Is that what you did? In the middle of your conflict, or did you think about all the things they did and all the things, and even, even when even, look, even, even when you were saying, I'm going to try to handle this in a good, biblical way, it still doesn't usually start here. And James says, here's where I want you to start. Submit yourself to God. I want you to come, and then he kind of closes, summarizes it by saying, humble yourself before God. It's the same language. What does it mean to submit yourself before God? It means to come to him in the middle of all of the mess. And there's all sorts of stuff going on, right? Man, people might have hurt you horribly. And you might have hurt them horribly. And James says, look, let's just hit pause. Submit yourself to God. Humble yourself before him. Come to him and say, I need you. Come to him and say, God, I want what you want now. Let your will be done. What does it mean to submit ourselves to God, to humble ourselves before him? It means that we, I mean, to submit before him, to humble ourselves before him. Imagine that he's there, and he is, in the middle of your conflict. It's to come then to him and say, okay, God, you're in charge of this, not me. I want what you want. God, let your will be done here. God, I want to honor you here. I want to please you here. Let that rule everything that takes place. Man, if we start there, I can tell you this, a lot of times it's done right there. A lot of times nothing else. I'm going to walk you through three other things, but a lot of times if we start there, it's just done. You know why? Because a lot of times if we start there, we can just overlook stuff. People have slighted us in some way. People have hurt us in some way. People have done something to us in some way. But if we start here, a lot of times we just let it go. 
coming back from the airport, there's these signs right now. Have you seen these? And they say, road rage, you know, it kills or something. Be like Elsa, let it go. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but uh, I don't know who's in charge of, you know, dot marketing, but it's kind of funny. But really, man, so many conflicts can actually be resolved by just letting stuff go. Proverbs says that it's to a person's glory to overlook an offense. How often do you overlook offenses? And Proverbs is honest and says, you have been offended, but you can overlook it. A lot of times when we go to God and we say, God, I want what you want. I mean, picture yourself kneeling before him and his throne and just saying, God, your will be done. I want to please you. I submit myself to you. So many times then, you know what happens? We just overlook the offense that's been done against us because we're not this king on this throne that you have offended me. No, we just, okay, yeah, so I've been offended. I can let it go. And look, letting it go, overlooking it, doesn't mean you don't bring it up and you ignore it. That's not the same thing. It means you truly let it go. It means you're no longer thinking about it. It means you're no longer mulling over it. It means you're no longer kind of contemplating it and go, no, I've let it go. I'm not going to say anything. But internally, your, your intestines are like falling out because they're so knotted up. Or maybe they don't fall out. I guess they stay inside. Anyways, whatever. I'm not a doctor, okay? I see the doctor looking at me like, that's not how it works. Okay, I know. Um, <laughs> but letting it go is not ignoring it. It's really letting it go. And a lot of times if you start with God and you go to him and say, God, I want your will to be done. I want to please you here. I'm submitting myself before you. I'm drawing near, as James says. I'm drawing near to you. Then it's gone. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we do need to bring it up. And the next movement I want you to think about, and just think about it like this, a relational movement, okay? It begins with God and then moves to me. Not me, Caleb, but I'm talking for us. It moves to me. And we go, okay, I've talked with God, I've submitted myself to him, I've drawn near to him, and now I'm going to start thinking about me. And normally, in the middle of conflict, where's our focus? It's the other person, right? I mean, think about somebody that you've been in conflict with, or you are in conflict with. If I were to say, hey, could you write out a list of everything that they've done wrong? Oh man, you just, you just keep going, right? What about you? Ah, oh, let me think. I've got to think about this. Maybe there's something there. But man, we can so easily see, well, here's, what's, what caused the conflict? You, you bring two people together and say, what caused the conflict here? And the fingers go that way, right? It's that person, of course, that's what caused the conflict. But the next movement after God is to think about ourselves. Here's how Jesus says it. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is a dangerous and humorous image that Jesus is giving to us. He's saying, look, if you're in the middle of conflict, first, look, begin with God, but then... Begin with you. And 
we usually go, no, look, I see what they did. I see what they did. And Jesus goes, you can't, you're blind. Jesus says, you can, Jesus' point here is this. You are in the middle of conflict. Look, this is the truth. In the middle of conflict, Jesus says, you are blind. You have a log protruding from your eye. And that's pretty blind, right? Jesus doesn't go into the physics of it. Well, how does a log balance? I don't understand that. The skull's got a really like screw-tight grip on it. How does that work? He doesn't go into all that. He just says, look, you are blind. There's a log sticking out of your eye. And what happens if you've got a log sticking out of your eye and you're trying to help somebody? I mean, you're going to damage them. Jesus says, look, your neighbor's got a speck, this little piece of sawdust in their eye. You can't see clearly because there is a giant log coming out of your eye. Jesus' point is this. In the middle of conflict, we are blind. We cannot see accurately. If we take Jesus seriously, that's what it's saying. If you're in the middle of conflict right now, listen to Jesus. You are blind. Period. That's what he says. And our our instinct, everything in us says, that's not true. I see this in their eye. I see this. They've got this. They've got this. They've got... Jesus says, stop. Stop. You've got a log in your eye, dude. You can't see to get the speck out of their eye with a log in yours. That's what Jesus says. We begin with God. We submit ourselves to him. We draw near to him. And then Jesus says, you know what you do next? In the middle of whatever conflict you are, whatever somebody has done to you, whatever somebody has said about you, whatever somebody didn't do that they were supposed to do, whatever, in the middle of that conflict, here's what Jesus says, you've got to get the log out of your eye. Well, I don't have a log. Okay. That's what Jesus says is the problem. And that's why you've got to back up to draw near to God and submit to God. You've got a log in your eye, Jesus says. Anytime we're in conflict, we have a log in our eye. And here's what it means to get the log out. What is the log? What does it mean that we have a log in our eye in the middle of conflict? Maybe the log is simply that we are just oversensitive and don't even realize it. A lot of times we get hurt by things and Jesus would say, look, maybe the log in your eye is simply the fact that you are over." reacting and responding and hurt by this and hurt by that, maybe what's actually causing the conflict is a hypersensitivity, or maybe the log is your own actions, things that you did, things that you didn't. Look, Jesus doesn't say, you are the one mainly at fault. Jesus doesn't say that, but he wants you to deal with your log because you're blind. And you will never be able to see clearly. The other, look, so many times when people do this, when I've done this, and you start to think about the log in your eye, then you can actually go, oh, you know what? Man, it really is a speck in their eye. And you start to actually see more clearly when you begin with yourself. Jesus says there's a log in your eye, which means that we go to God and we say, God, search my heart. Maybe I can't even see it. I'm blind. What's the log? Help me. What have I brought to this conflict? What have I done or not done? What have I said or not said? What have I brought? Maybe it's not 50-50. Maybe it's only 1% your contribution. But Jesus says, start with 
the log in your own eye or you will be blind. You know what the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us on the cross in forgiving us of our sins and declaring us righteous, you know what that does? That allows you the freedom to own that you've got logs. Because if I really, look, if I believe that I'm defined by how good I am, if I believe that I am an okay person because I'm a good person, that, I, that I've got value, that I've got worth because I've actually lived the right way and done the right things, then I'm really scared to see any fault. But if I believe, man, Jesus has forgiven me of the worst and he's declared me his son and righteous in him, then I can look at anything and go, okay, yeah, there's a log. Sure, there's another one. I'm a freaking Lincoln Log factory. They're all over the place. You can do that in the gospel. So, we start with God. We move to us. Part of dealing with the log is that we confess it to the other person. You go to the other person and say, here's my log. You can even say that. If they're in this room, they'll know what you're talking about. Like, hey, I've I've got a log I'd like to give you. We own what we've done. We confess honestly, without excuse, without, we just say, here's what I've done. Here's how I've sinned against you. Here's how I've wronged you. That's dealing with the log first in your own eyes. Seeing what the log is and then bringing the log to God and going to the other person and saying, look, here's, here it is. Here's my fault. Here's my wrong. Here's what I've done. Will you forgive me? Then next, we move to the next relationship, which is them. We start with God, we move to us, and then we move to the other person. And we move to the other person, as Jesus says, to help them see their speck. We move to the other person to help them see their speck. Now, here's the truth. If you've started with God, and then you've gone to yourself and said, hey, I, I need to confess something to you, a lot of times you don't even have to do this step because haven't, has, has, there, has anyone ever come to you and said, look, I'd like to confess something to you. Here's how I wronged you. And it melts you to then go, ah, and I've wronged you like this. A lot of times, that's how it goes down. You don't actually have to even say, hey, there's a speck. Look, here's my log, but you also got a speck I want to show you. You don't even have to do that. You show, hey, look, here's my log. I'm sorry, I've wronged you. And the other person goes, ah, I feel a speck. What's that in my eye? And then they start to tell you. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes you still have to help the other person see. And that's what Jesus says. Here's how he says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But I want you to hear something. When you're thinking about, okay, I start with God, I move to me, and now I'm focused on them. And the goal is to help them see the speck in their eye. The goal is to help them see what they've done wrong, what they've brought to the table. But why? What, what are you, why, what's, why are you doing that? Why is that the goal to help them see their wrong? So often, and you think about your conflicts, you go, okay, I, I need to help this person see their wrong. Why? It's usually so they own up to it, so they fess up to it, so they don't do it again, so they see their air. That's not what Jesus says. He says you do it to win your brother. 
You do it to win your brother. Look, here's when you know you're ready to confront someone about their speck. Have you already forgiven them? Is the desire in your heart that you want joy for them and good for them? Or is it that you want them to know what they did? You want them to see how they hurt you. You want them to own up, fess up. You are way off if that's where you're coming from. Do you want something from somebody? A confession? A realization? To make them feel bad? Do you want something from them or do you want something for them? Jesus says, look, you start with yourself and then because you love the other person, have you ever had a friend that had something in their eye and it was really bothering them? And you care about them, so you gently say, hey, I want to get that speck, I want to get that eyelash out of your eye. Don't move. Jesus says, look, when you've dealt with your own log, then you actually care about the other person's eye that's bleeding and crying, and you want to help serve them. And so if your brother has sinned against you, Jesus says, here's what you do. You go to them. Why, Jesus? So that you can win your brother. Not so that they will know what they did wrong, so that they will not do it again, so that they will face up to it, so that they will confess, so that they will pay the piper. No, Jesus says, here's why you do it, so that you can win your brother. So here's the question for us when we're thinking about conflict. We start with God, we, we then go to us, and then when we start to think about the other person, what's the desire in your heart? Is it, I want joy for this person so badly, is it focused on them or focused on you? That's when you know where your heart is. And if you find that in your heart, no, it's about me, then you need to go back to submit to God, draw near to God, and look at your log. And then, don't you want to win your... Look, this is how Jesus pursued us. We, we were in conflict with Jesus and Jesus says, look, I didn't come to the world to condemn it, to judge it. I came to save it. I wanted to win them to me. Jesus saw all of our wrong, and he didn't say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show them they're wrong. No, he said, no, I want to win them. I want them. And that's the only reason he even shows us our wrong, is to win us to himself. If this is your heart, you know what happens? You do what Jesus says. You talk I love what, I'm just going to go back to this because we need to hear this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. But see, if our heart isn't actually that what we want is joy for the other person, our heart is that we want to show them what they did wrong. We want to make them pay. We want them to fess up to it. We want them to see how badly they hurt us. If that's our heart, you know what we do? We go tell their faults to others also so that we can get sympathy, so that we can get others to agree with us, so that we can get others to do what we want them to do, which is to fess up to it and own up to it. We want others to confess their sin to us. Say, I can't believe they did that. Oh, oh. And Jesus says, no, look, you've got it all wrong. Go to them and them alone because you're fighting for their joy now at this moment. That's how you know where your heart is. And you know what? Jesus even takes it further when he's talking about us and them. 
He says, look, here's, here's, here's how much I want your joy to be for that person. Here's how much, if you're in the middle of conflict, you start with God, you move to you, and then you go to them. But what about this? What about if you ever said this? I don't got a problem with them. Maybe they got a problem with me, but I don't got a problem with them. That's their issue. Is it? But, but if your heart is what Jesus' heart is, if your heart is, I want joy for them, I want a speckless life for them, I want, them to, I want to win my brother. You know what Jesus says? He says this, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Not that you have something against your brother. If you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, look, if you're in the middle of worshiping God and then you remember, I think there's somebody that has something against me. So this doesn't even mean it's your fault. This doesn't even you mean you've done anything. You just know somebody's got something against you. Jesus says, go to them. Go talk with them. Go try to win your brother. So in conflict, what's the better way to handle it? We begin with God. We move to us. Then we think about them, and then finally, we think about us together, the relationship together. This is when we actually seek reconciliation with the other person. See, we're not, we're not just saying, God, I bring this before you. I want what you want. We're not just saying, okay, God, where's my sin? And I confess it to the other person and let them know that I know I have some part to play in this. We're not just confronting them and helping them see their speck. We're not just doing that. Ultimately, we're after that winning the brother piece. Ultimately, we're after not just them seeing what they did wrong and us seeing what we did wrong. We're after the relationship being reconciled. So it begins with God and it goes to us. Then we think about helping them and then we think about the reparation of the relationship. This is forgiveness. Here's how Paul says this. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You see, Paul says, Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus has not held your sin against you. Jesus has not, Jesus doesn't hold your sin over your head and say, remember when you did this? Hey, I'm always going to be watching you now about this. He doesn't keep it rolling in his mind. Jesus says, I forgive you, and now you're mine, and we have good relationship. And Paul says, Paul says this, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Jesus has forgiven us, not partially, not seeing what we do next, not holding it over our head and reminding us, not telling other people about it. Jesus has forgiven us and said, the slate is clean. You and me are good. Isn't that beautiful? So this is a better way to handle conflict. Can't escape conflict. It's going to be in the church. It's going to be in your life. It's going to be in your community. It's going to be in your marriage. It's going to be in your friendships. You're going to have conflict, but there is a better way to handle it. There is a better way to handle it that strengthens the relationship. 
Here's what I would like us to do even now, just to respond to Jesus. If you've got a piece of paper or a phone, you're not going to show this to anybody. Is there somebody's name you need to write down there? Is there somebody's name you need to write down that you just say, God, I'm going to just try to even do this first step tonight. Where I just say, God, I submit before you. God, I submit before you. I'm drawing near to you. Just write down a person's name. Someone that you have conflict with. This may be family or friends or whoever. And you would just write down their name and say, you know what? Maybe I'm not even, I, I, I can't even see clearly. I'm not ready to confront them. I'm not ready to have this, con- but you know what? I can at least begin with God. And I can at least say, God, I'm gonna try to draw near to you on this. I'm gonna submit to you. I'm gonna humble myself before you about this conflict. And even as we come to take communion in just a moment to say, God, I'm doing that first step tonight. And there's probably more conversation that has to happen with God about this, but just just to begin and say, okay, God, trying to do step one. Trying to start with you, God. And truly submit my heart to you and say, I want what you want here. Let me close with this. What would happen if we handled conflict like this? What would happen? Is this how... You are used to dealing with conflict. If you're in conflict right now or the last one that you were in, is this how you dealt with it? Is this how you handled it? What would happen if it was? Seriously, what, what kind of relationships do you think we would have if we handled conflict like this? What kind of marriages or friendships? We have conflict all the time. What would happen with coworkers if we handled conflict like this? What would happen in our church community if we were a kind of community that said, look, we're not a place that's free from conflict. By any means. But we're a place that handles conflict differently, in a better way that actually strengthens the relationships. What would happen? Conflict won't go away, but we can handle it differently. This is the path towards a deeper and truer friendship. Relationships get stronger when conflict is handled in a better way. In fact, our relationship with God is strengthened because of how he handled his conflict with us. This is what it says in Romans. For if while we were enemies, the Bible says that we were enemies of God. That means conflict. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know what this says? You know how we have a stronger relationship with Jesus? You know how we have depth of relationship with Jesus? Because he handled his conflict with us in a better way. That he pursued us. That he went first. That he forgave us. That he drew near to us. That he came after us. That he said, look, I'm not just trying to show you your sin, but I'm trying to win you over. The way Jesus handled his conflict with us allows us to then have a depth of relationship with him. And when we take communion, that's what we remember. We remember that Jesus said, look, we've got conflict, but I'm going to handle it differently.
I'm not going to make you pay for it. I'm not going to judge you for it. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to forgive you for it. I'm going to cleanse you for it. And I'm going to give you reconciliation. Reconciliation. 